0: Daniel chapter four, tonight, the pride and the praise. Nebuchadnezzar was not that unusual a man, except for the fact that he was brilliant, forceful, terribly rich, and achieved something that no other individual has ever achieved. And that is, in his own time, he brought his own family to predominance, having conquered the entire world as they knew it at that time. Chapter 4 of Daniel is a state document of the Babylonian Empire. There are other such documents in Scripture, but this is the only one that we have in its entirety without anything missing. Chapter 4 of Daniel is the decree, the descriptive thing that Nebuchadnezzar wrote or had wrote or dictated to a secretary, however he did it, describing the events that led to his personal experience with God. This is a voluntary and enthusiastic testimony based on personal experience. It is addressed to all the inhabitants of the earth, and I believe that this chapter describes the events that led to what we would call conversion as Nebuchadnezzar came to know God for himself. Could you turn me down just a little bit? I'm hurting my ears if nobody else's. This chapter shows the long-suffering, what a time for the rude comment, and I'll be that way, patience, and mercy of God to men. Now, even to a cruel heathen tyrant like Nebuchadnezzar. Now, in the scriptures, Nebuchadnezzar is painted as a pretty good guy, and compared to some of the other uh, kings that we see of pagan nations, he may have had some things to recommend him. But make no mistake about it—he was a very cruel man. History records to us that Neb—records Nebuch- for us that Nebuchadnezzar never lost a battle. He subjected the entire world to his own will. Where he conquered, where he was in control, he was absolutely ruthless and he never showed mercy. And some of the state documents of Babylon that have been unearthed indicate that Nebuchadnezzar was absolutely insensitive to the social needs of his own people. So though he may have been better than your average pagan monarch, he was not a very nice person. And even though he was this kind of a man, and even though God had blessed him, the long-suffering and patience of God continued to extend to Nebuchadnezzar for a very long period of time. The events of this chapter are probably 40 to 50 years after the first time that God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. Now first nebuchadnezzar was spoken to by the lord in a dream that daniel interpreted for him as recorded in chapter 2 of this book in that dream nebuchadnezzar was given a vision of the great image made of the different kinds of metal that described the history of the world from his time till the end of time then god spoke to nebuchadnezzar again some 20 years later nebuchadnezzar had not acknowledged God. He had been impressed. He had honored Daniel, but he still hadn't acknowledged God. And when he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, he looked in and God gave him a vision of somebody in there with the three, probably the Lord Jesus. And so this is the third time that God in a special and unmistakable way has revealed himself to this man. And yet still, though he is impressed, he is unconverted. He is willful. He is proud. He is unsubdued until the events that this chapter describes. Now because this chapter was not written as a narrative history. It was written after the events. At the beginning of the chapter, we have the acknowledgement of who and what God is that Nebuchadnezzar gave after all of these things had come to pass. In verses 1 through 3, here is the king's desire. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. What a beautiful confession. It is natural When God really deals with an individual, it is natural for the individual to want to tell people what God has done for them. Now he acknowledges God in a different way than we read in his acknowledgments in chapters 2 and 3. Before, he acknowledged that God was powerful. He acknowledged that God was exalted, that he was a mighty God, but now he uses a distinctly hebrew phrase which designates him as the most high god and then notice in verse 3 now I don't want to spiritualize too bad but I can't resist a little of it if in fact nebuchadnezzar wrote this after all of these events have passed years beyond what when the beyond the dream that he had notice in verse 3 he quotes scripture verse 3 is a quotation from the book of Psalms. Now evidently, after Nebuchadnezzar got his right mind back and got his head on straight, between that time and the time that he died, which was only a year or two, Daniel taught him the Word of God after he was able to receive it and willing to understand it. Then in verses 4 to 7, here is the bankruptcy of humanism. Now you recall in chapter 2, which was years and years and years prior to this time, when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, the first thing that he did was call for all his wise men and try to find an answer for the meaning of it, but they couldn't help him. Now you would have thought that after all this time he would have learned something, but he didn't. Again, he issues a general call. I saw a dream. It made me fearful. I saw these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known the dream to me. We read in verse 4 that Nebuchadnezzar was at ease in his house, which, you know, really I'll talk about the palace in a little bit, but that's... a a little bit of an understatement to call it a house. He says he was at ease in his house. Nebuchadnezzar had ascended to the throne at a very young age and become co-ruler with his father. He had gone on wars of conquest as a man in his early 20s and then while still in his 20s probably, he ascended to the throne and had conquered the entire world. Then he had focused his attention on building in Babylon the most magnificent city which the world has ever seen till this very day. There's nothing ever been in history to compare to the city of Babylon, not even Rome. The historians tell us probably not Athens, in all of her glory, was like Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar finally, in his old age, was at ease. He now dwelt in the most magnificent palace in history. I don't have time to describe the palace grounds, but the wall around Nebuchadnezzar's personal residence was six miles. If you started at one place and walked around the outside of it, you would walk six miles before you came back to it. That is larger than the ancient city of Jericho, which the children of Israel walked around and shouted victory when the walls fell down flat. So he was at ease in his house when all of this happened. You see, he could shut the world out. He could make himself totally secure in the way that a man can be secure, but he couldn't shut the Lord out. And he had a dream like he had had previously, a dream from the Lord, and he was very anxious to know what it meant. You see, even after all those years, Nebuchadnezzar still hadn't, Learned everything that he needed to learn. Again, he calls for those who cannot help. He calls for the men wise in the ways of the world. And he finds out for sure the bankruptcy of humanism. I want to make one small observation at this point. When whatever the rationale and whatever we blame it on, we seek a humanistic solution, There's not a dime's worth of difference when we do it than when Nebuchadnezzar did it. And then notice in verses 8 and 9, the last resort. I wanted to just block this out and make the point emphatically. But finally, the scriptures say, Daniel came in before me, and I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now see, at this point, as Nebuchadnezzar retells it, he's not yet converted. Spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you. Tell me the visions along with the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar turned to God for help only when all else fails. You know, Nebuchadnezzar had not forgotten, surely he had not forgotten, the first dream, the one that Daniel interpreted for it. But you see, since that time and then since the fiery furnace when God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and He promoted them and they had ruled well along with Daniel, since that time, God had been silent. And in the first dream, God didn't say anything bad about him. In the first dream, Nebuchadnezzar was seen as the head of gold, indicating that in many ways his kingdom was superior to all the other kingdoms that would ever come on the earth. And now only when worldly wisdom fails him will Nebuchadnezzar turn to God. I think it's Vance Havner that tells the story about a church. Mike could probably do it for us in Havner's drawl and whole works, but I'll tell you what I remember about it. Something about a church, a discussion going on, and someone rises and says, well, I guess we'll just have to trust the Lord. And someone else says, oh, has it come to that? You know, we don't really have to wait until there's no other solution before we trust God. The last resort. Then in verses 10 to 18, aren't you impressed that I'm hurrying? Verses 10 to 18, the vision of the tree. I may read this for that, Randy. Nebuchadnezzar describes the vision. And in this particular dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw a tree, a great tree, a well-proportioned, very strong and healthy. Then he describes in terms that make it obvious that the tree is symbolic, that its height reached to the sky. It was visible to all the earth. Its foliage was beautiful. Its fruit was abundant. In it was food for all. The beasts were protected by it living in its shade and all living creatures fed themselves in it. And then as he watched, one came and announced, a watcher, now The word angelic, if you have it in your translation of the Bible, is a parenthetical word. That means it's not in the original text. It's really kind of an editorial comment. I agree with the interpretation, but I'd just as soon if they'd left it the way it is, the way the Lord wrote it. The word watcher. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is using terms from his own religious background at this point, his pagan religious background, where the gods very often sent their messengers to watch and to do their bidding. Now Daniel will go on to explain what has happened. And as he sees the dream, the watcher says, Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip it of its foliage, scatter its fruit, let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. Now at this point, the terminology changes from it, neuter, to he, him, and his, personal pronouns. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. Then Nebuchadnezzar adds, This is the dream which I have seen. Now tell me the interpretation, inasmuch as nobody else can do it. Here is the vision of the tree. As Nebuchadnezzar watched, the tree was to be cut back, but not totally destroyed. Now, though we don't know all the background of it, evidently it was a practice in the ancient world for what was left of a tree that might have some life in it if it was to be, if it was diseased, they were trying to save it, to be banded with iron and bronze and, and treated, I'm sure, in other ways so that it might be preserved. So it was banded in order that what life was left in it might be protected. And then it was drenched, changes over and talks as though it were an individual. Let his mind be changed into the mind of an animal. Let him begin to think that he is an animal. This shows the sovereignty and the power of God. Now the watcher, we are told in the commentary in verses 17 and 18, is an angel sent from God to carry out his orders. This scene described in verses 17 and 18 is very much like the scene described in the book of Job. In the book of Job, as we begin the narrative of that book, two or three times we are carried into the presence of God and the scene is like a throne room with a council of heavenly beings around God who watch over the affairs of men and come in and out and report to God about what is going on in the world of men. That's the same kind of a picture we see here, the picture of the heavenly council. Now the disease of the mind which Nebuchadnezzar was to have is, is a legitimate thing. There are various kinds of it. They, the uh, psychiatrists call it, there's an avianthropy they call it for people that think they're birds, you know. It really gets weird, but the general term is lycanthropy. It describes what happens when a human being really believes they're an animal and begins to act like it. And that was the sentence that God decrees for Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was concerned because he had had these dreams from God before. He knew it had a significance he knew it applied to something about him in his world, and he wanted to know what it was. Then, notice in verses 19 through 27, here is the prophecy of madness. We read that Daniel was appalled as his thoughts alarmed him. Now, Daniel knew immediately what the dream meant, but he was very disturbed by what it meant because he was fond of Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar had been very good to him and he had stood as the phrase in chapter 2 is by the king's gate. He had been the king's right-hand man for 40 or 50 years and he was appalled to know that the judgment of God was about to fall. Nebuchadnezzar assures Daniel that he wants to know the truth. Now don't miss this is very important. Nebuchadnezzar was lost at this point. He was not a converted man. And yet, he said to Daniel, Give me God's Word. I will receive it no matter what it is, no matter how it affects me. And I wondered as I studied this chapter, how many times can we say that? I will receive God's Word no matter what it is, no matter how it affects me. And then we wonder why God withholds His blessings. Nebuchadnezzar, though an unconverted man, was willing to receive the Word. And so Daniel told him, He told him that he would be driven out when he became insane. But finally, he would receive his wisdom again. His reason would be restored and his kingdom would be given back. And then notice in verse 27, before we move on to the last few verses of the chapter, Daniel didn't let it lie right there. He tried to get Nebuchadnezzar to repent. For you see... Until the hammer actually falls, there is always every possibility that God will forgive, that God will heal, that God will restore if there is repentance. Daniel said, Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away from your sins and from your iniquities in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Sounds very much like what David said when the child of his adultery that was born to Bathsheba was sick unto death. And when the child died... and. The servants were afraid to tell Daniel when or afraid to tell David what had happened. when they came to David and he realized it, he challenged them, he said, "Is the child dead?" And they said, "Yes." Then David arose and washed himself and, and went and ate a meal and went to worship in the house of God, and they said, "King, we don't understand while the child was alive, you were grief stricken, but now that he's gone, you act happy." And David said. Until the baby died, I did not know but that God might save his life. It's the kind of thing Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. King, there may yet be a chance for you if you'll just repent. And then notice in verses 28 to 33, here is the complete fulfillment, the complete fulfillment Nebuchadnezzar no doubt knew that what Daniel said was true. But he procrastinated. I I believe that Nebuchadnezzar intended to get right with God. But he put it off. Once again, his conscience became seared. And he just waited too long. Verse 28 says, All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. That's a short verse, but it says a lot. It all happened just the way God had promised that it would. A year later, Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of his palace. He was beholding the beauties of his city, and he would have had to have been on the roof to see over the wall, which was about two miles away. And he said, Wow, look at what I did. And at that moment, A voice from heaven spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. Now the fourth time that God has directly revealed himself to the man. And he said, buddy, it's too late. Even while the words were in his mouth, the sentence was announced. Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. And for the next seven years, now we don't know for sure, But we do know that Nebuchadnezzar was protected because nothing happened to him. If he had been roaming wild in the countryside, someone would have killed him. He would have fallen prey to robbers or somebody. They would have tried to kidnap him and ransom him. Probably Nebuchadnezzar for the next seven years was given the run of the palace grounds, which included a 400-foot-high man-made mountain where were the famous hanging gardens of Babylon and he was allowed to roam the palace grounds, that's several square miles, thinking himself to be a wild animal for seven years. Nebuchadnezzar had been impressed again, but he was not yet convinced and convicted. He looked around and he was proud of what he had done. And then his sentence came. He was surrounded by a complete delusion During this time, probably Daniel had a hand in seeing that Nebuchadnezzar was protected. And during this time, his son, who was named for Marduk, one of the Babylonian gods, ruled as co-regent. The proud king was now on his hands and knees eating grass, thinking he was an ox. And then in verses 34 to 37, here is repentance and restoration. There was no parole for Nebuchadnezzar. He served every day of its sentence. We need to be aware that when God does act, He will always fulfill everything that He says. And in retrospect, before we get into these last four verses, Nebuchadnezzar's problem was he just really didn't believe that God would go through with it. We need to be aware that Scripture says God is not a man that he should lie, nor does he repent, which means a change of mind. He is always good for his word. Exactly seven years later, Nebuchadnezzar looked up. Now, you know, oxen don't look up. They look down. His reason returned to him, and he looked up. Now, the number seven is God's number. Everything was done. The time was fulfilled. And so that God might be glorified, Nebuchadnezzar's reason was restored. Now he had learned his lesson. He blesses God. He repents. And he owns God as the God. He is now an humble man willing to tell the world how he had been humiliated in order that it might bring glory to God. He knows now where the power lies, that God gives power to whom He will, and that He can recall it just as easily. That the only restrictions there are on God's power are restrictions that God voluntarily places on Himself. He acknowledges God completely and totally as the true God. He says in verse 737, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true, and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. What a sublime testimony Nebuchadnezzar, for the last days of his life, turned his throne into a pulpit, his state papers into sermons. And he sends a message to the world that it needs to hear today. That message is that God rules. We need to remember it when things don't look that way. We need to remember it when it seems as though the wicked prosper and realize that God is in control. One of the stories that has come from the last century is about a visitor from the Far East, one of the few places in the world that had not fallen under English domination during the height of the British Empire. This visitor in England, on a visit of some, for some reason, was with Queen Victoria. And during the interview, this visiting head of state asked. Victoria to tell him what had enabled the people of that little island kingdom to dominate the world. It is said that Victoria walked to the table in the room where they were, picked up a Bible, held it out to the man, and said, this book will tell you why. It was a belief in God's Word that made England great. During the same period of time that England was rising to her ascendancy, she was doing battle with France. But there was a very real difference between England and France. For in France, whereas England had been freed from the domination of the Roman church, France stayed under the domination of Rome. And two very different things happened England survived many conflicts. England survived, and until recent decades, a major force in the world. But in 1789, in what was a very poor counterfeit of the American Revolution, anarchy reigned in France. Horrible, unholy, inhuman things were done in the name of freedom and justice. Just as the word of God will exalt a nation, so withholding that word from the nation will bring the nation to her knees. Nebuchadnezzar finally announced to his world that there is a God in heaven who is in absolute control. Here is pride, but here is praise for there was repentance and restoration. And there is no difference when we seek for human answers than when Nebuchadnezzar did it. There is no difference. In fact, it is an indictment when we will not receive the Word when a heathen did it. There is no real difference when we procrastinate than when he did it. And there is no reason in the Word of God for us to suspect that God will not pour out His judgment on this nation as surely as he did on that one unless this nation turns and repents and comes back to God. May we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the fact that your word is true and that through it we may be sanctified, set apart as a special people for your use. Father, we are told that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world. And Father, it seems as though this nation in which we live is is going more surely toward the darkness every day, and that the salt has lost its savor and is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. Father, we can't change the world but perhaps we can make a difference here. Perhaps we can do something about Yukon, Oklahoma. Father, do with us as you please. Show us what it is that you demand and bring us from pride to praise, from ruin to repentance. Whatever you want to do with us, you have the right. We acknowledge it. Even if we didn't, you could but we pray that you will do what honors Jesus through us individually and collectively. For I pray in his name, amen.